Welcome to No One's Ever Asked Me That, where you'll hear inspiring, real, behind-the-scenes stories from high achievers building a life and a business with passion, designed to motivate you, inspire you, teach you, and show you exactly what's possible for you, too. This is No One's Ever Asked Me That with your host, Christine McAllister. Have you ever felt like you are alone in a sea of people who get each other? but there's something weird and different about you. If so, you are in for the interview of your day, week, month, maybe year. I've had people say things like that about this podcast before. And this interview is going to be next level because today I have my friend, Diane Allen, who has done more amazing things in her career, starting as a teenager, than I could talk about in an entire hour-long episode. So you're going to have to take my word for it, but I want you to know that she's the author of seven books with another one on the way, the same title as her incredible podcast, Someone Gets Me. She is a visionary leader who works with highly talented, highly sensitive, highly gifted people. Basically you, if you're listening to this interview. And I am so excited to get to learn a little bit of her wisdom and see a little bit of her brain and her thought process about how to navigate this world as a person who doesn't quite fit in. Welcome, Diane. Oh, thank you having me for having me here, Christine. What a riot. <laughs> We're going to so have so much, much fun. fun. I know. It's wonderful. Oh. Diane, I mentioned to you in the pre-chat that I just, I had some ideas of, of where I wanted to go with this interview and I asked you if it would be okay if we just dove in. So you have no idea what I'm going to no ask idea. you about, but I know that this is going to be super useful for everybody who is listening because You call yourself all over your marketing materials. You call yourself a visionary leader. And what is so interesting about those two words for me and for people listening is that those are words that I have had a traumatic relationship with each of them separately, the word visionary and the word leader. And I think that it is because of what I project that a visionary is supposed to be and what I project that a leader is supposed to be. And you're supposed to be both of those things if you're an entrepreneur and business owner. And those are things that I personally have not identified at least with what I feel like you are supposed to be as either of those. So I want to get your take on what it means to be each of those words and then what it means to be those words together. Are you up for that conversation? I'm totally up for that conversation. And I actually call myself a visionary leader and say, I speak to visionary leaders because we're the ones who don't fit in. And what we've all been taught, especially in the entrepreneur world, in my opinion, is not very effective and not very resourceful. Mm -hmm. And it really holds people back way more than they realize. So that term is intentional. For me, a visionary And we'll start there. For me, a visionary is somebody who can look at their life and say, huh, 
I have this bright idea and it takes the world 18 months or two years to figure it out. Or when they think it's a bright idea, I've been telling them that for months and months and months and walk around with the experience that we're almost in a time warp where what the rest of the world is seeing and experience and doing is old news to us already. Um, I remember one time many years ago, about 15, 20 years ago now, opening my journal because I journal every day and noticing that everything I was writing about that I was seeing in my meditations or things I understand because I'm so intuitive would show up 18 months to two years later. And once I had that re realization, like, wow, that's been going on my whole life. And I have been frustrated almost the whole time because I'll come up with this really great idea and I'll say it to people and they'll look at me like, yeah, I spoke Greek or something. And then they come up with the idea or somebody else does two years later and they act like it's new. And I'm like, that's old news. And I went through a lot of emotional upheaval about that. Like, how come nobody hears me and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm like, you know, I'm ahead of my time. So now when I have a vision, I sit on it and I wait for the world to catch up with me most of the time. So visionary people are ahead of schedule. They're ahead of the norm. So, for example, in the entrepreneur world, if we get in any of those masterminds or any of the groups and the people who say, well, you just plug into this system and it will work for you. That's not true for a visionary necessarily, depending on the system, because our way of processing, our way of thinking, and the fact that we're ahead of schedule outthinks this person over here. So we need to plug into a system that's flexible for us to be able to mold our own paradigm within it. So if somebody mm -hmm. says those people that do the one size fits all type stuff will never work for a true visionary. We'll get frustrated and run away screaming like we've been something crazy is happening. So we, do, we don't do those, which is why I work with visionaries, because I get that. Mm -hmm. Another thing about visionaries is they're one of their questions they love to have is why? How come this? Why that? And they dive deep into things like you give them an idea and we're off and running. And sometimes we lose track of time or space, but we have to get the answer. We have to have the understanding at least. And until we do, we don't rest. And that's not true for all people, though we live it that way. We think everyone does, but no, only visionaries really have that. And that's also part of the gifted world where we talk about intellectual overexcitability. So those go together. It also aligns with the entrepreneur brain or the ADD type person. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of diagnoses words, but in my world, that's a sign also of visionary. I love that. So this visionary piece is so interesting because I think my projection is like a, oh, like an Elon Musk. Okay. Like somebody mm -hmm. who just literally sees a, a different world or a Steve Jobs or some one of these people, right? Right. As opposed to, well, my question is, why do you believe that visionaries have that answer 18 months to two years ahead of time? Because I think they're tuned into um, their intuition and their gut, and they've learned over time to trust it, and they're willing to step out into it, believing it to be true, because intuition is the highest form of intelligence. That's what Forbes magazine says, and it is. So uh, we can do that, like even Einstein says, your, it's his imagination, which a lot of people call it that, or that uh, ability to see yeah. that is profound. And so when we trust it and we go for it, then that's when you start seeing the difference between the person who's frustrated and depressed and can't pull it off to the person whose people go like, how did you do that? How did you do that? I'm like, well, I trust mm -hmm. that part of me because I've learned over the time to validate and confirm that what I'm getting is real, that it's not me making it up. And you learn how to make friends with that part of yourself, if you will. 
so that then it becomes an integral player in your wheelhouse instead of just this part of you that's kind of weird. That's so good. And I love that you're tying this to being a visionary because one of the things that we talk a lot about in this community is how, you know, the the most important skill to have as an entrepreneur who's successful is the ability to trust yourself. Let's do your mm-hmm. intuition and trust yourself as opposed to employee mindset of like, my boss is the one who makes me okay. Right. Right. And of course it's the opposite of what we're taught in most schools. And then the other piece that you really called out was this so rampant in our industry, this one size fits all approach to entrepreneurship because one coach had success with one method, extreme success with one method. And then that's all they know how to teach maybe. And so that's all they do teach. And they think, well, if they did, anyone can do it. And I think I learned the hard way working with a couple of coaches who I really wanted to have their level of success and their one method didn't work for me. And then I blame myself Well, there must be something wrong with me, right? Before I finally woke up and went, no, it's actually that we're all different. We're all wired differently. And like you and I specifically and our populations, like everybody is wired for a certain or bent toward a certain method that's going to work best for them. And our job is to help them figure that out, cultivate that and nurture that rather than like cookie cutter, shoving down one strategy for everybody. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally, totally true. And I I know a lot of people out there making like a ton of money with their one size fits all kind of thing. And great, wonderful. The truth is, our brain says one size fits all. The truth is no two of us are the same. Even if we had the exact same experiences, you know, you can do it, look in the twin studies and all those different things. We're not the same. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially new entrepreneurs, get led incorrectly and wrongly because they believe it because, oh, there's a lot of social media hype or they have, that person has a lot of likes or a lot of followers. And I learned very early on that you don't have to have a lot of likes. You don't have to have a lot of followers and quote, social proof is not always relevant to a visionary because if you're two years ahead, most of the people won't even figure out what you just said. How can they like it or follow you unless they're trying to figure out how crazy you are or what's going on or they understand you? Like a lot of the people follow me all the time because they're like, we already know you're going to say one. You're going to say the topic is this and you might go over here because spiritually you're led to do that. And so they're always kind of curious where I'm going to go. And sometimes I'm curious about where I'm going to go, too. But <laughs> it, it's kind of like, all right, understand that the, the old rules don't work. The old way doesn't work in the world in general. And if you find yourself having difficulty fitting into some systems or they feel like you have a weird rub or it doesn't quite do it, that's a sign that there's something greater for you and you're playing small, trying to fit into something that's not meant for you. Whoa. So do you find that, this is a leading question, but I know you'll disagree with me if you don't think that this is true. Do you find that your people who don't fit in ever turn that into a story of like unworthiness or not enoughness because they, okay, this is how I'm supposed to behave and I can't seem to make myself behave or fit in. So there must be something wrong with me, which must then mean I'm not enough. Totally true. Happens a lot. 
And then there's also a whole imposter syndrome thing that if I do pull it off, then people are going to think I'm a fake. So a lot of people turn it into low self-esteem. Existential depression is another part of it. Um, And that whole, uh, I'll never figure it out. I can't do it. I suck. I, you know, they go way down those rabbit holes or sometimes they get that, that chip on their shoulder, ego, egoic pride and push through and which causes them pain in the long run. And people who live from that egoic pride, like I'm, I'm going to force it, that kind of pride is rooted in shame. So when we see people full of themselves in that kind of pride, that means they feel so low about themselves because shame means I'm not good enough, then they're overcompensating, right? So that happens a lot with gifted people and it happens a lot with visionaries, which is why I do the work I do, because I really believe that if visionaries really could live in their diversity and really bring it forward, their, their unique gift, and everybody brought their gift forward, not just visionaries, that our world would be a whole lot better place to live, which is why I do my work is I'm really trying to save humanity from themselves, like in the big picture. So we really want to say, yeah, bring it forward. Let's go. What's the cool idea? Let's get forward thinking and use it for the good because some visionaries can see and they don't use it for the good, Mm -hmm. which is sad and tragic, but that's where our choices are. Right. So, but a lot of people come to me. I, I, in fact, I had a new, new person today sign up for my year long program actually with that very same thing. Very, very successful struggling with identity and how to take a stand and boundaries and stand in their worth and, and feel good about it. And, you know, he was on the outside, looks wonderful because he is wonderful. But there's this inner silent kind of discontent, if you will, pain, angst, and no visionary needs to live with that. But visionaries live with a lot of silent pain because people look at the surface and they don't look beyond it and don't realize that that's a human being too. That's a person too. And we all have the opportunity to say, am I going to really go within get rid of the wounds and heal and bring out that. Like I look, think of that unique gift, like a lotus flower coming out and saying, here, here's my unique gift to the world. Am I willing to do that and be vulnerable in that way? And so trusting that it really doesn't matter what anyone else says or does. So to tie that in then as a visionary, how do you define the leader then in the visionary leader? My definition, my operating definition of a leader is the person that other people seek out in times of need or crisis. It really has nothing to do with position. It has to do with the person who has grounded presence, has trust factor just in their energy field. They're they're good listeners. They're very deep listening people. And they're able to ask the right questions and demonstrate by their own actions, how to navigate this crazy world in an effective way. So often the true leader in some organizations is not the manager, it's not the owner. It's the person who can rally the troops, so to speak. So you always know who the leader is, just put a little pressure on a system and see who people go to. It's very simple. And it's usually not who you think it's going to be. And it's usually not the person with the title. So again, if somebody's with their ego holding on to their title, like they're starting their business and they spend forever trying to figure out their title, they're missing the point. That's not what it's about. It's about grounding yourself in who you are and your authentic vision and and the truth of your being, your essence. And then saying, how am I going to bring that through my physical being? 
which knowing will have different iterations over our lifetime, but it's one calling. It just looks differently as we change and evolve and grow, which we're supposed to do, right? And so the leader is the person who is grounded in that and can say, let me hold your hand and, and I'll walk with you over this bridge and I'll show you how to do it, you know, metaphorically, right? Or, or come this way and invite others to see a new and more powerful way to navigate what could be rocky territory in one way or another. And for me, that's a leader, not somebody's telling people what to do, not somebody who's screaming orders. When somebody starts raising their voice, they just lost my leadership vote. But they're a person who has great compassion and great kindness and is totally willing to come off their soapbox and go to that person and go where that person is, meet them where they are, and then lead them toward a higher and better understanding of whatever the situation might be. That's a leader to me. That's so beautiful. And how healing compared to what we're taught a leader is supposed to be, at least in a lot of settings. It's very empowering too, because when we're coming from our grounded, authentic selves, it's hard to sway us off of it. Like we're not going anywhere, like mm-hmm. not going anywhere because I know what I know, what I know, and this is what I know. And sometimes you'll hear me say, I, I say to my clients, the grass is green and sky is blue. And this is what I do because this is just how I do it. And it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. We get out of that paradigm. It's just, that's how I do it. And if you resonate with it, with me, and we're on the same page, great. And if you don't, I still love you. It's still great. Totally cool. I don't want everybody to resonate with me. I think there's value in every one of us. And all of our little jigsaw pieces, puzzle pieces, if we were a big puzzle, are all different on purpose. It's intentional. I love the diversity. I love the differences. I think it's a blast. It's fascinating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It makes life interesting. In the pre-chat, we were talking about part of this international presentation you're giving is about existential depression. Yes. And that really piqued my interest because, well, first of all, being self-diagnostic, I was like, I think I have that. It's like the first time you read the DSM-4, you're like, I have that and I have that and I have that or whatever it was, DSM-3, whatever it was when I read it the first time, you know, in Psych 101. But that phrase really, really speaks to me. So whether or not it's something that I exists in my world, I resonate with it. And I wonder if you can speak to what that looks like for visionary leaders. It looks like, and then I'll explain and define existential depression, because it's not in the DSM. It's not a medical diagnosis. It's, it's a term and an understanding that those of us in the gifted world understand. So it comes more from the psychology educational viewpoint and no medicine will help it. So a lot of my visionaries just say, I've tried all these different antidepressants and I, and they work for a bit and then they don't work anymore. Then I start looking at existential depression because it looks very similar, but it's not the same thing. So if you take the words apart, existential is like, is a crisis of meaning, a crisis of place in the vast universe. So somebody ends up with existential depression or the symptoms of it when their world turns upside down, there's a big disruption and they don't have a structure. And so they're flailing around, no structure, and then they get depressed because they can't grab onto anything. There's nothing to hold on to. So it's just kind of like out there. Idea is somebody who it happens in organizations sometimes where they can see a vision like they, I see the solution to this. I see it. I see it. And then they go tell people and everybody poo-poos it or negates or, or, or puts them down or comes up with yet a different system that won't work. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I walk around and like, 
I'm not heard. Nobody gets me. So what's the meaning of all this anyway? Because once we start asking those existential questions, now we're in a different realm. We're in our spiritual purpose and our calling. And if we can't find a place where it fits and we can ground it and, and make it come through us in a meaningful way, it's very easy to get depressed. Um, that's why medicine doesn't work. That's why we create systems and, and we help the person with a new paradigm and a new understanding. I, I worked for many years on a lot of the um, crisis intervention therapy teams around the country. So I've dealt with a lot of major issues where the, people's whole worlds are disrupted, like Hurricane Katrina and mm -hmm. things like that. And Hurricane Andrew way back when in Florida and mm -hmm. the whole place gets demolished. And then now there's no system. There's no rule. There's no home. There's no thing. And if I don't have a thing, a way to do it, a function, a, a system, then it's very easy for a visionary gifted mind to just start expanding out and lose touch, which then creates human depression in that sense of sadness, hopelessness, like I'll never, never be able to get it, like grabbing at smoke, a lot of isolation and fear and withdrawal. And, you know, they kind of shut down and get away from people because it, it's that sense of, I can't get there from here. So I step in and, and, you know, and the work we all do with people is like, well, let's, let's start to create a new framework. What would that look like? Because sometimes those disruptions can serve great things, but we have to understand sometimes it's transitory where I need to create the new framework. This is the first thing we teach and teach in trauma work is get back on some kind of a routine mm -hmm. and then figure out what to do. Right. So existential depression has to do with those deeper senses of meaning because visionary people and gifted people want to contribute. They want to do good. That's their purpose and yeah. goal. And it's, it keeps coming out no matter what they do. You know, your calling haunts you all the mm -hmm. time. You, you try to avoid it all day long. It doesn't really matter because you keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back until you finally say yes. Mm -hmm. So my rule of thumb is just say yes. And then it's way easier. And, <laughs> you know, it just it cuts down a lot of time. So we spend a lot of time working through that. No, you're not mentally ill. It's not a pathology. Mm -hmm. So get out of that conversation that there's something wrong with you and start to realize you feel this because there's something right with you that the culture, the system that you were in didn't support. In the long run, this is a blessing, even though it feels really terrible right now. And there is a way out. There is a way out. Many of us have done it. I've, I've suffered from existential depression in my life more than once. Once I started realizing and once I started really working with more and more gifted people and being educated in brain development and functioning of gifted people, I started going, wow, that's me. Oh, okay. Well, then there's a solution. And then I started realizing most of the people in the world don't really understand it. They think of kids. They don't think of adults when they hear the word gifted. And so I've started, you know, over the last several years, well, decades now, really helping people see that just because you have depression or you feel really terrible doesn't mean you're sick. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It might mean something's really right with you that you haven't uncovered yet with what to do because nobody told you. If nobody tells you, you don't know. Sometimes it just takes a little education. Well, let's, let's put this system together. Let's put this together and let's just see how it works. And then let's give ourselves permission to change our mind. Always reserve the right to change your mind. So in our like extremely sensitive world, cancel culture, so many words being attempted to be done away with, right? What is the current definition of a gifted person? And how does that fit in with the implication that that's only a certain group of people? Well, it is only a certain group of people. And it's about 2% of the world last I checked. And 
the Columbia people have the official gifted definition, which I do not have memorized, but I will tell you what my practical everyday street definition is. Cause I'm like one of those, like I know the academia, but I don't use it necessarily in my speech, but it, it's a person with a higher IQ who has an atypical and asymmetrical brain development, often executive functioning issues, different intensities or overexcitabilities. And they experience the world in um, surround sound 3D versus an average person that does not is not gifted and does not have overexcitabilities is watching a black and white TV from the 50s. Same world, completely different reality. So there's a qualitative difference in their life experience. They feel things more deeply. Often the way they think is different. Their sense of humor sometimes is not understood by other people or they figure it out many years later. Um, those kinds of things, they use different words or syntax is more complicated. Uh, they, their strategies might be a little different. They can answer multiple questions at the same time. Like I have six trains of thought happening in my mind all the time and I can dial in on any of them, but there's, it's still always going. Um, they have different kinds of sensitivities physically. You're really good elite athletes. They're gifted because that's a physical overexcitability that just takes them to another level. There's all these experiential things. And that's like what I focus on and what it's really like. And there's a lot of people who are gifted who don't use the word gifted because they're afraid of being judged. I even had a therapist. I ran an all gifted substance abuse treatment center. And I had a therapist I hired who judged my comment when I said to somebody, well, it's because you're gifted that this is happening. And let me show you the difference, you know, so that you can understand and make friends with that part of you instead of go do drugs. And this person, this other therapist piped in and said, well, everyone has gifts. And I said, that's not what I said. There is a difference between everyone having gifts and somebody being gifted. Yes, all people do have gifts. That's true. I agree. Totally. But a gifted person has, a, has an additional situation that actually is handicapping in a lot of ways. It's difficult to live in a gifted body and a gifted brain. It takes a lot of different navigation. Sometimes social skills are really difficult, social situations. And I know a lot of people, and I've had it and happen in my life too, where I've had people not friend me anymore, not be my friends anymore, because I wasn't like the life of a party with a room full of people I didn't know. I was comfortable with that person alone, but you put me in a restaurant with like 50 people and you want me to like entertain everyone at the table. That ain't going to happen. It's first of all, it's a sensory overload. Second of all, I'm introverted. No, I'll be nice and I'll come out of my shell eventually, but it takes us a little while. Gifted people have difficulty with transitions. So there's so many things that actually, in a lot of ways, take a lot of effort to overcome and handle and get by and do and navigate in order to make it because the world thinks that there's a lot of judgment that says, well, if you're gifted, then you should be better than everyone else and you should be faster and you should be smarter and on your point all the time. And in some cases, it's true. But there's also the, the part of all of us that's like, this is really hard or I don't know what I'm doing or wow, you know, wide open. And so it takes understanding that it's a thing. It's a real thing. And it's and a lot of people are affected by it and it runs in families that you don't outgrow it. And it's important to honor it. And, and, you know, I'm a big one on educating people. Like, so I have a lot of intensities. I um, have all, all of them actually. So I educate my friends kind of as I go along because of my experience is so intense, or maybe I ask a lot of questions or whatever it is where I say, you know, if I'm going to go to this event with you now, I'm going to be quiet for a little while because that's just how my brain handles this transition. And they appreciate me explaining it a little bit because otherwise they would tell a story to themselves about why I'm doing what I'm doing and they would not be correct because they're not in this body. They don't know what I'm going through. 
And so that's why with a lot of my people, I work with them that way. It's like make friends with it and then learn how to kind of teach as you go. Then the diversity, the neurodiversity, the emotional diversity, the physical diversity, the social is a big one. All then is an experience for everybody to learn from versus be afraid of, judge, hide from, or cower away from, you know, those kinds of things. So that's how I see gifted people is like, you can always tell because we're not understood usually. And and then also it's because the world is different. We experience it differently. And, and that's how it is. And it's totally cool. Mm. Like some of us are really sensitive to fabrics or tags in our clothes Mm. or our imagination. Gifted people can imagine things and that other people can't see just because they can. Some of them, you know, some of them are more linear. We're all different. Every brain's different, you know? And so I'm a big one on just learn about the cool person that you're with and the cool person that you are within you so that other people can know what you do on the surface, but be delighted by all the depth and the differences and the nuances as they show up. It's beautiful because it, as you said, it can apply to any difference. That's what makes Mm -hmm. life interesting. Right. And in this case specifically, I shared with you when I was on your podcast that I had a lot of self-judgment and imposed judgment on being identified in that way as a kid mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, teachers thought, some teachers thought that that was BS and that there shouldn't be a day where certain kids went and did different things in the rest of their class and that everybody should be treated the same. And so I picked up on that and, you know, teachers told me like, how dare you use that word? I'm like, I didn't know it was wrong. The other teacher said it to me like, I'm eight. You know, (laughs) so I think like just reflecting on hearing you say that it's helpful and it's healing for me. And I'm betting some of the people listening because there was a a part of me for a long time that felt I had to hide some parts of me because I got and we talked about this, too. I got made fun of when I use big words. I learned I had to be nice to get attention from the other kids and not just be the nerd that they didn't want to have anything to do with unless they wanted me to do their homework. And of course, (laughs) having, having friends is so important when you're, when you're well all the time, but when you're developing, it feels, you know, like important Mm -hmm. to your core. And so it's, it's kind of like redefining, I think for a lot of us, a relationship with that word Mm -hmm. instead of being like, yeah, that's a thing. But like self-acceptance of like my experience is different. It comes with its own challenges. And of course, like anything else, it comes with its strengths, right? And its advantages as well as its challenges. So for people who are like, all right, I want to reclaim that part of myself and own it and redefine myself as this is part of who I am. And it doesn't make me better than like I was told, but it does give me some distinctives to learn about myself and to work with. Where would you recommend someone like that start? Well, first, I recommend that they become open-minded, that maybe, just maybe, a lot of what they think they know and a lot of what they've been told just might not be totally accurate. And then I suggest to people to intentionally shift their vocabulary a bit to non-charged words. Mm -hmm. So if you're charged by leadership or you're charged by the word gifted, don't use them. Find another way to describe the experience that does not charge you. You know, that's why if, you know, when you look at all of my content over the four decades I've been doing this, you'll see me 
really use a lot of different words, which makes my marketing people upset because they're like, (laughs) no, keep it tight, keep it tight. I'm like, no, because most of my gifted clients, most of them do not claim to be gifted. They are, but they don't use the words for themselves for whatever reason. And it's totally cool because I think that's why I look at it more functionally than academically. And so it's like, good. I know the academics, I can explain it to you, but that's not the point. The point is, is if, if your functioning is not where you would like it to be and you're not totally satisfied, not successful, but satisfied. And only until you're totally satisfied, it takes digging in and seeing where it all fits and how you want to bring your perfect gift into the world. Right. So I tell them to take words out of their vocabulary that charge them either positively or negatively, like just take the charge words out. When you hear me talk about not so pleasant feelings, I will always call them goofy or staticky because those words don't have a charge. So it's not a bad feeling and it's not wrong to have it. It's just goofy. You know, I'll use different words. I use them with myself and with my clients and I teach them to do that. I said, just use words that don't have a charge and start to open your mind. They're like, huh, if I take the charge out, now what do I have? And allow yourself to just be open and receptive to now what's here. And if I notice like I'm really sensitive here or whatever, and then I say, find somebody who can be a really good mentor who understands these things, who's open-minded enough, who isn't going to tell you who you are, how to do it, but rather ask the really poignant questions to help you determine it and support you while you figure it out. Because I believe that everybody has their own answer. And so all my work is around helping that person excavate kind of like an archaeologist and find all the goodies that have always been there, but that society and judgment has squashed and it's time to excavate those for that person's own well-being and for the well-being of all humans. Right. If you're going to save humanity from itself as your life mission, then you better get comfortable talking about this stuff, right? Right. Well, it's true because I, when I look at everybody, I see them as like God with skin, that every human being, even if they're acting horribly, even if they're really struggling and being totally goofy, and I would totally disagree with everything they do because I disagree with you doesn't make me right and you're wrong. It just means I disagree. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when I see people suffering and angry and violent and harming themselves and other people and all of that, it, it, I cry at night. I feel it. And it's sad because truthfully, everyone's here for something good and joyful and happy. And, and we're here to be a blessing, not a consumer kind of bump on a log Mm, or worse, somebody who's doing damage, you know? Yeah. That's, that's beautifully said. You are somebody who, in terms of your business, you hold a lot of different space for a lot of different people. You wear a lot of different hats as an author, as a podcaster, as a, as a leader. I mean, fill in the blank, right? You've either done it or you're doing it basically. Kind of. (laughs) Yeah. How do you personally determine, choose, intuit what the next focus is for you as somebody who has six things going on in their head at any given time? And you could go any of 20 or 30 different directions. Like, I know you have this amazing mastermind coming up, the creative consciousness mastermind for people. How do you get yourself to make a decision as an entrepreneur who can change her mind as often as she wants? How do you get yourself to make and ground into a decision to follow one thing all the way through? 
uh, well, that's really tricky. That's why I have support system people that help me follow all the mm -hmm. way through, or I would change my mind a hundred times. Um, or I would just get distracted and then I go, oh yeah, I was going to mm -hmm. do that. In fact, this mastermind is an example of that where I've had many creative people because I work mostly with authors, artists, musicians, ath professional athletes or athletes uh, who are really talented. So that, that kind of artistic vent, it doesn't have to be an artist, but that creative person who doesn't fit inside the box. And, uh, and so a lot of people have asked me for this mastermind. I have a belief system that if you ask me for it and I can, I will deliver it. So like on my meditation podcast, I even say during the podcast, if you have a subject that you would like me to do personally voice a meditation without using your name, just do you want this topic, then I will do that for you. And then it will be the live on the podcast. And I have always said yes to any request that's reasonable that goes along with what I do. So every book I've written has been either a request or multiple questions or multiple things coming in. And it just seemed, it seemed like it fit for a lot of things people were asking for every single book, including the one coming out. And, um, and this mastermind I'm getting ready to do is because many people have asked me, well, what's your creative process from your idea and your vision to executing, to like actually seeing it in your hand? Will you run one of those? Will you teach all of us creative people, get us in a room together so we can kind of fire off each other and, and see it happen? I said, sure. So I created it. So that's kind of how we do it. The other way I do it is I really go into my intuition and I pay attention and I ask, all, I ask two questions. First one I ask is what is mine to do? And I journal like what is mm. mine to do uh, in the world today, big picture, whatever, like what is mine to do? And some it'll shift as, you know, it's shifted over the years. What is mine to do? And then I ask how to serve the highest good for myself and others, because I'm included in that, right? So the highest good for all concerned. So let's look at what's for the highest good of all concerned. And because I work with such a diverse, amazing type of person, I have my live video I do every morning with the meditation theme of the day. Mm -hmm. And then I write blogs and I write books and I do videos and I teach video classes and I speak in person because everyone receives it differently. I don't want anybody to feel like they're left out. I don't like it when I feel left out or it's not my way. And I like doing it all. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. So I don't mind that. Right. But, you know, that's why I started the podcast because people kept saying, you got to teach us. You got to mm -hmm. talk to people, show us the way. And I'm like, OK. And so I have a little bit of spiritual naivete. So I say, OK. And then I then I figure it out later and I start doing it and it turns into something amazing. Like someone gets me podcast didn't start out the way it is now. It's great now. And it, 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 start, it was good then. And it's better because I've given it permission to expand into something even more amazing. I kind of do it both ways. I'm very married to my calendar. Mm. I'm very married to my protected and dedicated creative time mm. that everything gets turned off. You couldn't find me. I don't even know if I'd hear a bomb go off outside because I'm like mm. in my zone everyone knows me. If you call me during that time, I'll call you back or I'll talk to you, but not during that time. It's for me. And it's, that's my intuitive connection. And then, and that's where I get my guidance. So I do that. And I trust, I trust that the universe will always, always give me immediate feedback. So if I come up with an idea and, and I've come up with plenty of them and they felt really great and they had all energy. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then once I started putting pen to paper to write the outline or sort out how it was going to be. Or once I started making it a thing, it just didn't feel right. Now I could have forced it, 
But when I start making it a thing and it rubs funny, I stop. And that doesn't mean it's a no. It means a not yet. Or let me massage it a little bit to see what's going to happen. And then usually it gets married with something else and it comes out really cool. So I really listen to timing of how I feel trying to make it. Like I never force anything to happen. I just go with, oh, okay, this feels, there's flow here. This is good. Doesn't mean it's not hard, but it just means there's not that, I don't know, that kind of inner rub. I love that. I love your approaches. Thank you for sharing this. I know that there are people listening being like, oh my gosh, I've never heard this subject, these subjects talked about in this way before. And, you know, you and I have known each other for several months now. And I just love every interaction because I learn from you and your approach is so, it's both so grounded and so unique at the same time. I appreciate you so much. I know that everybody listening does too. And so what's the next step to connect with you if you want to get into Diane Allen's world? If you want to get into Diane Allen's world, probably the best way to do it besides all the social media channels I have to do is search me is to go to MsDianeAllen.com. M-S-D-I-A-N-N-E-A-L-L-E-N.com. And you can sign up there and to get a sample of one of my books. And then you get the weekly newsletter, which has all kinds of cool stuff in it. And um, you can sign up to get a 30-minute get-to-know-you phone call with me. Mm-hmm. And we could chat about whatever you want to, whether you want to work with me or you just have questions or whatever. It's more about giving somebody permission to know that somebody's got their back and will hear them because hum- basic human need is to be heard and the other basic need is to be loved. I love everybody and I want to be there to hear somebody because sometimes hearing your own self say something, you get the epiphany. So they can contact me that way. Or of course, my podcast that you're on, Someone Gets Me, is a great way to to understand my style a little bit and see kind of what I am. And if you want a private community, we have the Someone Gets Me community at members.someonegetsme.com. That's for the -the out-of-the-box, gifted, creative, geeky people. And I post interesting stuff and things like that, but it's it's, um, not on social media. It's a private thing. It's free, but it's not with the distractions because we don't do well with distractions. So I took the distractions out. What a fantastic offer and how generous. Thank you so much, Diane, for being with us, for sharing just a glimpse of your genius and the way that you are a visionary leader in this world. I am so grateful to be sharing time and space with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here on your show. And thank, I'm so glad that we've connected and, and we have a good friendship and I'm really glad for the work you do. And I just think there's a great synergy. I think we can speak to the world in a way that feels refreshing and real and gives people hope instead of like that angst of I have to fit in when I don't, it doesn't feel right. There's always hope. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. Thank you. If you loved this episode, would you consider scrolling down if you're listening on iTunes and leaving me a quick rating? And if you feel like it, a review. That is so helpful to me to help get the word out there and share this amazing free resource with more high achievers just like you. I value and see every single review and it would just mean the world to me. Thank you so much. Here's to living your life with passion.